following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. Hey everybody, Pastor Mark here. Today is a snowy, yucky day in the Ozarks uh, around the Branson area, and so today we're using a different format than we would normally gather in, but I'm still excited to be with you, even if it is in spirit, as the Apostle Paul says, and I'm excited to have an opportunity to still share God's Word with you, even though we can't get together in person. So I grew up in Nebraska, and um, in, in that place where we would have we would measure snow in feet and we would never cancel anything um, because we had lots of snow plows and and uh, the roads were relatively straight and flat. And so in the Ozarks where the roads are not, um, it's a little more dangerous to get around on snow-covered roads. And so um, we canceled our gatherings uh, in person and we come together this way. But it's interesting and ironic because today our message is from page three of the Bible as we've been studying page one page two and page three now. Um, Last week, Barry shared with you the introduction to the story on page three where the snake appears. The serpent comes out of nowhere and he says to Adam and Eve, did God really say? And today we're going to learn the conclusion of that story, or should I say the continuation, as we find out the world gets messed up, gets cursed. And So it's kind of ironic that the curse of creation would impact our ability to gather today um, as we seek to tell that story. The world is frustrating. And God told Adam and Eve that they would be frustrated by the world because of this terrible event. And we are experiencing that in actuality today, just as we do every day. And so let's spend some time together talking about that, learning from God's word, and then hearing, more importantly, the promise that comes in the midst of all of that. So though we are separated by time and space, we are connected by God's spirit and through his word. And so I would invite you to join me in prayer as we pray about that and pray about this time we're gonna spend together uh, that I would invite um, the Lord to bless this um, not normal way of getting together, but, but nonetheless, his promises in the midst of it. Please pray with me. Father, we ask you as we gather in this time to bless it, and we pray right now that you would um, bless this time of recording and then receiving. And Lord, I ask you that um, you would pour out your grace and your mercy and your peace to us in this special time, and that you would remind us that we do all of this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Page three. The title of today's message, had I got to share with you in person, I would have put up on the big screen, The Snake Crusher, because that's the promise we receive today in the midst of a broken, frustrated, cursed creation, Um, a creation that's been subjected to frustration, as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, because there was hope, hope, even on page 3 of the Bible when everything came crushing, crashing down. Um, there was the promise of the snake crusher. Uh, 
And I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 3, and I would invite you, if you have your Bible, um, if you have a Bible app, if you're watching on your computer, whatever, grab BibleGateway.com, grab the U version on your, on your phone, um, grab the Logos Bible app, which is my favorite, or grab the good old-fashioned book that still tells the story, the good old story that never changes, the only story that is really true. Genesis chapter 3, on page 3 of your Bible, and... Um, we read these words, picking up where we left off from last week, um, beginning in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Which is interesting, that cool there, that's the wind, the spirit, maybe, uh, depending on how you want to translate that, the ruach in Hebrew. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me. She gave me some from the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife, that's a loaded phrase, and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and then live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So my question to you this morning is, do you ever just feel cursed or do you feel like the world around you is cursed? Do you feel like things work against you? Do you ever notice that no matter what you do, you always seem to misplace your car keys or you feel like that the computer hates you or that the no matter how hard you work at work, it's just always a mess and a problem. This is what we feel. This is what we experience. That's because it is. The world is cursed. And 
we hear about it in these words from Genesis chapter 3, and it is broken. It is a broken world. And oftentimes what happens as we go through life, we feel like that God is opposed to us. We start to suspect that he is because that snake who was saying to Adam and Eve, did God really say? Um, He's still here. He's still saying those things. He's still coming at you and me deceiving us, trying to trick us, trying to elevate our sense of justice and that knowledge of good and evil that we now have. That tree that we like to call it a praise and worship, not so much the tree of knowledge of good and evil because that phrase is kind of mysterious and confusing. Uh, We call it the tree of I know everything because that's precisely how we feel. If you've ever noticed, you're right all the time. Have you noticed that? I mean, you are, and so am I. And I feel like I'm very right, correct right now. And so this is how humans work. We always think we're right. And yeah, we might not have knowledge or might not have learned a particular skill or whatever. Um, But even if we're learning a particular skill, even if we're in the midst of it, once we have our opinions, boy, those are, those are golden. Those are good. Um, Because we define good and evil. That's what that tree is all about. So we are convinced we are right. The serpent, the snake, has deceived us and continues to seek to do so. Um, How does this work now? And how do we move forward in this? How do we deal with the curse? How do we deal with um, all the things that are produced by that? I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at a few verses going to zoom in on these words. I'm going to quote unquote, put them on the screen here and take a look at them. And in this particular one, verse 14, where God is talking, uh, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, it says in in Hebrew, he, he says to the snake, cursed are you. So the first curse that God gives is to the snake. He says above all livestock and above all the wild animals. In other words, the snake is going to be the lowest of the low now, ironically, by saying the curse is above everything upon him. Um, He says, you will crawl on your belly, which invites all kinds of speculation. Well, what was the snake doing before that? Was he a dragon before this? A Tyrannosaurus Rex? A Velociraptor? I mean, we don't know. These are all the speculations. Um, But now, he's going to crawl on his belly. And... You will eat, God says to the serpent, you will eat dust all the days of your life. What does this mean? This is a, uh, an amazing statement that is something we must hold on to, even though we can't specifically point to all these details and say, oh, that's that, what that means, this is what that means, this is what the other thing means. Instead, we need to hear God's words. Cursed are you, snake, above all the wild animals, above all the livestock. You're going to crawl on your belly now, and you're going to eat dust. Many theologians over the centuries have come up with all kinds of metaphorical, allegorical explanations to this. I just want you to let the words hit you. What do you think that they mean? Let the words kind of like, wow, this is something. Um... We know from the book of Revelation that this serpent is the accuser. He is that old, he is the, you know, he is the accuser, the old Satan, uh, the deceiver. 
You know, the word devil comes from the Greek word uh, that means to deceive. And, and certainly Jesus describes him as the liar. He is the liar. He is the one when, you know, Jesus said when he, when he lies, he speaks his native language. This is just how he talks. It's what he do, does. And he comes to you and he comes to me continuously trying to deceive you and to deceive me um, into making us believe that this is all God's fault. This is all his injustice. He is capricious. He is evil. Um, God is not good. That's what the devil that's what the serpent wants you and me to think, to believe. And because of the world we live in, because of the examples and the situations that happen to each one of us, sometimes we think that. And we need to be honest about that. Do we think that it's not fair? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what you and I both think. It's not fair. So we want to look at verse 15, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We'll zoom in on this. He's still talking to the snake. God says to him, I will put enmity. We'll talk about that word. It means a deep-seated hatred and conflict, warfare even. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He, that is the woman's offspring, will crush your head and you, that is the serpent, the snake, will strike his heel. This idea that God immediately embeds a promise in the middle of these curses is amazing. Because it, it, it tells us that he's up to something. He's trying to do something. He has a plan to deal with this. Because um, immediately when we're sitting here in this story, we're in the page three of the Bible you know, we're wanting to go back to page one and two where everything was the ideal. Everything was perfect. Um, we know from the Psalms that humankind, Adam and Eve, were without sin. They were without blemish. They were without imperfection. Therefore, they were perfect. And they were in a state of being free to choose. You and I aren't always so free to choose. I know we love to celebrate our free will, and everyone always asserts that. Um, which is ironic because we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, so we're always right. So, right, your, your will is free, isn't it? Except why do we struggle and not always do the things we wish we would have done? Have you ever said to yourself, I wish I would have done it differently? Why didn't I do it differently? This is where we're at. We are in the midst of this enmity between Eve's offspring and the serpent's offspring, the world of the snake versus the world of the human, the Adam, the, the uh, Adam. Uh, you know, this, our word Adam is God's word for humanity. He made the human, he made the serpent, and now there's enmity. There's warfare, deep-rooted, all the way down to our bones. And his plan, that is the serpent, the deceiver, the accuser, his plan is to get you and me turned against one another and certainly turns it against God. And of course, if you look across the world, he's doing a pretty good job of that. Um, this is what we struggle with. 
But there's this promise of the offspring, right? The offspring of Eve, that he will come and crush your head, even though the snake will strike his heel. And when we look at the story of Jesus, this is precisely what happens. And he even says so much in John chapter 3, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, referring to Numbers chapter 21, where there's this story that there are these snakes coming at the people, right? And they're biting them and they're dying from that, from those venomous snakes. And God tells Moses this strange thing that seems to come out of nowhere, that um, he should put, make a snake out of bronze, put it on a pole, and of course, lift it up, because why wouldn't that be the great thing to do? And so that everyone would look at it and everyone would be saved. Who The people who looked at the snake, at this bronze snake, lifted up on this cross beam <laughs> would look at it and then be saved. Just this out of nowhere story. I don't think the people who read Moses' writings from page one, two, and three, and then on into the first five books of the Bible would have missed that. Uh, I, I think anything, anytime we see a snake come into the story, our eyes go up and like, whoa, what's this all about? You know, Exodus chapter three and following, when Moses goes and meets God in the burning bush and Moses is like, what should I do? How am I supposed to talk to the people of Israel? You want me to go and tell Pharaoh and to tell the people of Israel that God spoke to me? How will they know that this is real? God says, hey, you got to take that staff of yours, Aaron's staff, and uh, throw it on the ground. And what does it become? It becomes a snake. And then God says, reach out your hand and grab it by the tail and Moses does, to demonstrate to Moses, God's demonstrating to Moses, you have power over the snake. All through the story of the Bible, there's this enmity. Each of the children born, including Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and on down the list it goes, all the way you know, to Moses himself, are these the one, is this the one, is this the offspring? Right? Is this the one who is going to crush the snake? And on the story goes, one right after another. They're all eventually chumps. I mean, I know we love to read the story to have faith like Abraham. and you know. And, but wait, we always like to forget that part where he kept saying that his wife was his sister to get him out of trouble. And Well, and then faith like Moses, except that when he didn't have it and he got mad and he struck the rock. And all these people, David, the man after God's own heart, except that whole episode with Bathsheba, you know, and I mean, on it goes. And Solomon, well, maybe he, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, well, maybe none of them, none of them could overcome the snake. Certainly along the way, they would accomplish great things by God's power, but none of them. They all kept looking for this promise to be fulfilled. And then Jesus came. God's own son, the son of man, the son of Adam, the one who came who has power over the snake because he is not infected with what Adam and Eve were infected with. He crushed the head of the snake. Now, certainly the snake struck his heel. We know this because that's how Jesus conquered him, by dying on the cross for you and for me and giving to you and to me, the power to control the snake, the power to defeat the snake. It's, it's crazy, but 
We got to see this. Genesis 3.16. To the woman. Now he's talking to the woman. This is God's talking to the woman. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. And all the women said, Amen. Right? They know this to be true. With pain you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And it's kind of like, you know, when you think about how men have always abused women throughout history. I mean, that's a constant thing. And then even now, we're still fighting the the war of the sexes. I mean, our headlines are still filled with this. And they always will be because this is happening in the world. It always has been. It always will be until Jesus comes back to make all things new. But if you ever feel like, wow, you know, the whole process of family seems to be cursed. It seems to be messed up. There seems to be this problem between men and women. Yeah, yeah. It was on page three of the Bible. He continues by saying to the human, verse 17, to the Adam, to the human, to the man, he said, because you listened to your wife, and you know all the men said, amen, right? And ate from the tree, cursed is the Adamah, the ground, because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. So, so if you've ever wondered why it is when you go to work on your car and the little screw falls down to the bottom of the engine and you're like, how did this happen? Of all the dumb things to happen and it takes you two hours to do something that should have been 10 minutes. Or you're actually a farmer and you're planting the crops and the snow comes and freezes it all out or the insects come or... Um, yeah, this is the page where we see mosquitoes enter the equation um, and all the nasty creatures, the vile parasitic aspects of creation, the brokenness of how creation groans, as we will see a little bit later from Romans chapter 8. Um, all of that is here. And it is through painful toil that we will work. And so work is not always rewarding. You know, the old adage, do what you love and then you'll love what you do. Um, sure, that's great. But if you, any of you who have even had that blessing where you get to do what you love, I get to do what I love and it's still hard. It doesn't always work. It becomes a painful toil, no matter how good it is. And let me tell you, it's good. This is the curse upon the ground. It works against us. This is why you lose your car keys. This is why... You get a sunburn when you're outside working or you stub your toe when you're getting ready for work or, you know, all these things, they're constantly pushing back against us. The great tribulation is the world that we live in, the brokenness, the cursed aspect of our world. It's constantly going on and it will get worse and it will get worse and it will get worse. Look at verse 18. It will produce thorns. And thistles. That word thorn on them. Maybe jump off the page for you. Thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You know, originally the plan was that Adam and Eve were going to eat the tree of the fruit, right? The fruit of the tree, I should say. And this is what they were going to do. And now the plants of the field. It wasn't see the way it was supposed to be is not the way that it is now. Was Noah going to be the one? Was you know who who was going to be the people to save everyone? No, no. It was the one who had the thorns affixed upon his brow. That's who saved us. That's who changed everything. 
by the sweat of your brow, verse 19, you will eat your food and until you return to the ground. And isn't it interesting that just three days from now is Ash Wednesday. We read the words, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. See, the whole issue is that people die. That's the ultimate curse upon creation is that death is now in the world. If you keep going on page four, the very first offspring of the woman, Cain and Abel, they blew it, right? Cain murders Abel, and off we go. Off we go into the drama of the human race. And the story gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. That's why we need to go to the, to the sequels, you know, not just the prequels, but to the sequels all the way to the New Testament. We've talked about Jesus, but I want you to hear from Romans chapter 8, these words, verse 20. Why did this all happen? For the creation was subjected to the frustration, not by its own choice. None of us would have ever chosen this, but by the will of the one, that is God, who subjected it in hope. He subjected the world to this curse, to this brokenness, to this frustration. In hope, continuing on in verse 21, that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay. That means bondage to death. That means bondage that Adam and Eve put it into when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That God's plan when he gave these curses was that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's his plan, is that through all of this, the story would continue, that it would not end with death. Because if it ends with death, we eat, we drink, and we be merry, for tomorrow we die. He did this, according to scripture, that creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's what he says to you. That's his proclamation to you. You are his child. He loves you. He moved heaven and earth to save you. He sent his only son for you. Why? Because he wants all of creation, especially you, to be saved, to be brought into glorious freedom where there'll be no more crying, no more death, no more mosquitoes, at least the way that they bite now. No more of those things that frustrate. No more bondage to decay or bondage to death. When Jesus rose from the dead on the eighth day of creation, as it were, he did so so that the old world would start dying and that the new world would start coming on. And that is exactly the truth for you and for me today. So here in the Ozarks, we're snowed in, or it's probably not as bad out there now, but... Uh, now would have been about the time we would all get out of worship and go slipping and sliding across the parking lot. Instead, we're home, we're safe, and we're pondering this truth that God has saved us. God has done all these things. He has arranged everything so that you would be revealed as his child. My prayer today is that as you go and do your thing, whether it's today, tomorrow, whatever, and you're dealing with the frustrations of the, of the earth, and you're getting the snow off your car or you're dealing with the bitter cold that's coming into our area today, um, that as that cold air cuts, freezes your nose and whatever it might do, you would remember 
that God allowed that frustration, put that frustration into creation so that in hope that you and I would be liberated, that we would look around and realize, no, 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 this was not the plan. The plan was for us to be with him together as a family forever. Pray with me as we ask the Lord to give us that truth each day going forward, this week and the weeks to come. Father, we thank you for today. We ask you to bless um, all that you give us, and especially what you've given to us in your word. And I pray that you would help us take these promises of the snake crusher along with us. Jesus came to save us. Let us always remember that no matter what we see in the world, that we would look at the cross just like Moses told the children of Israel to look at the bronze serpent. Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be lifted up and that whoever would look upon him would indeed be saved. And so we do. We look upon that place where it seems like the serpent won, where he struck the heel of the offspring of Eve, the son of man. But he didn't win. He failed. Jesus kept the law. He fulfilled the promises of God, and he brings them to each one of us. Let us all remember that and trust in that. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. God's richest blessings to you this day and all the days to come. Know that the snake, his head, has been crushed. Amen.